the court delivered a bit of a, if not defeat, setback to the Ford government, probably a setback because they say they're going to appeal, but it had to do with Bill 124, which was put in place to limit increases in wages for public employees in the province of Ontario. The court said it was unconstitutional. Charlene Stewart, president of SEIU Healthcare, said this. I just want to remind people of how cruel that bill really was. I mean, it attacked people, primarily women, that made, you know, $32,000 a year. And they capped them before the pandemic. And then he wouldn't even repeal it after calling them heroes and seeing everything that they've been through. So I have to say to the workers, this is a big win for you. And the message is to Doug Ford and all governments across this country that workers absolutely have rights in Canada. And one of those rights is the right to bargain. And it is protected. Joining me to talk about this, Toronto lawyer Gavin Ty. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Jerry. What's your reaction to all of this? Well, it's you know it's 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 not a, a particularly surprising decision, but I mean I think that it's clearly the first round in what will inevitably be a multi-round battle. There's no doubt that this is going to be going to the court of appeal. Uh, I would think just because of the amount of money that's involved with this. I mean, this decision theoretically could cost the province, you know, between eight to ten to fifteen billion dollars. Uh, and given those types of numbers, uh, it, an appeal is virtually inevitable. I think also what's important uh, for for your listeners to remember is that this is not the first time that this type of legislation has been subject to uh, judicial challenge. Uh, there's a case out of the Supreme Court of Canada that uh, dealt with this before a case called Meredith. And even more recently than that, the Manitoba Court of Appeal in a Federation of Labor case in Manitoba dealt with very similar legislation where the Manitoba Court of Appeal upheld that legislation and said that it, in fact, was not uh, a breach of the Charter and the freedom of association rights under uh, Section 2D of the Charter. So this case, uh, to a significant degree, uh, deviates from that, and I think uh, Justice Conan in his decision recognizes that and and seeks to distinguish it, but clearly there is conflicting case law here. Clearly we're in for a debate, and clearly the stakes are extremely high for the taxpayers of Ontario, who, you know, as much as we would all all agree and like would like to see healthcare workers paid and et cetera, I mean, we are the taxpayers, we're the ones doing the paying, and there's a balancing always in all of these things between the you know the legitimate rights of workers to seek more and the legitimate rights of those doing the paying to try to keep uh, that in check. Sure, but that's supposed to be kept in check by the people that we elected. And I'm a little confused, actually, as to why the government thought they needed Bill 124, because realistically, they can just bargain hard. They can sit at the table and say uh, to the other side, to the union, you have the constitutional right to bargain, but so do we, and we're stuck at 1%. And then the union goes, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the, and the government says, we're stuck at 1%. I mean, they fought hard with QP. They can continue to fight hard with people. Yeah, they can. And what we, But the problem you get into then, Jerry, is that you get a disruption in what are uh, services that people need, like health care services, various other services, and you have strikes. 
and that's really the reason I think why the government felt that they needed this tool in their toolbox in order to avoid that. I mean, there are other there are other tools available uh, to the government that uh, you know that could be brought into into play, and that's really why this decision, to some extent, sort of throws uh, everything into a bit of chaos because now you've got a decision. There are going to be all sorts of uh, bargaining uh, or contracts that come to an end. There will be catch up by unions. We want more. We want more. Uh, you know, is the government obligated to pay without the benefit of this cap? If that's the case, then what will the new contracts look like? In the meantime, what if they win the appeal? Uh, in the meantime, what happens if the government goes back to the table, redrafts legislation uh, and addresses these concerns? What if they invoke the notwithstanding clause, which would obviously uh, limit Section 2D? There's all sorts of elements that this just throws into chaos. Uh, and as I said, it, it does deviate somewhat from uh, other case law. Toronto lawyer Gavin Tai is with us on the court striking down Ontario's Bill 124. But what happens legally, Gavin, when the court says, well, we're striking it down, the government says, well, we're going to appeal? Doesn't it stay in effect pending the appeal? Yeah, generally speaking, that's the case. The government has an, an opportunity to remedy, uh, for lack of a better word, it's been, you know, this is a long tradition of constitutional uh, challenges. The government has a chance to remedy the legislation, to bring it into line with what the court has said, of, uh, you know, is offensive in regards to this particular section. Here, I mean, there was a number, there's two parts to this, obviously, and, and usually in a constitutional challenge like this, there is. First, you have to find that there's a breach of the charter, and then you have to find that that breach is not a reasonable limit. Uh, uh, as contemplated by Section 1 of the Charter. So in this, that's what happened here. I mean, the government could go back to the table, redraft the legislation, and, and address those concerns. But, rec- you know, recall, these cases invariably end up in appeal courts. I mean, this is a trial-level decision with respect to very, a very uh, good justice and a, a very knowledgeable one. Uh, but it is a trial-level decision. This case was always going to go to appeal. It didn't matter, frankly, who won the first round. Well, then why don't we just skip that court and go right to the to the <laughs> ultimate court? Why don't we do that, Gavin? Well, well, I don't know. Why do we play baseball games in the ninth inning? I, I You know, that's a, the question is, is that that's part of the, the judicial process, is that there's an input in from the first instance, and it does give the uh, the Court of Appeal a basis upon which to, to decide these things. And frankly, it's not probably going to end in the Court of Appeal. I mean, uh, one way or the other, I suspect that we'll be seeing this case go to the Supreme Court of Canada. The problem we've got is, you know, Jerry, that takes time. And in the meantime, these are real problems, real issues that need to be addressed now. And that really raises a whole series of other issues. You know, are you know the are are certain public sector employees essential workers? Uh, should they have the right to strike at all? I mean, those are different issues that uh, arise too and are related to this. All right. Gavin Tai is with me, Toronto lawyer. And so far, the court has struck down Ontario's Bill 124, limiting wages for public sector workers to 1%. Uh, but as Gavin has just pointed out, it could stay in effect until it winds its way through this process. Because you've outlined for us here that other courts in other provinces have had different decisions. Does that lead us to believe that the Supreme Court may in fact uphold the, the this bill? Or Or if it got to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court strikes it down, does that change everything in other places like Manitoba? Um, well, yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, this could redraft the the map. I mean, the Manitoba case that I'm talking about came out in 2021, and it followed a prior Supreme Court of Canada decision that came out before that. I mean, it really depends upon what the court views as whether or not, A, there's a charter breach, 
and whether or not that is a reasonable limit. I mean, here what we have, I mean, in, in respectfully to to the judge of first instance, he was very caught. He was very cognizant of the role that the judiciary plays in the legislative process. He he, and in fact, he said he was mindful uh, that appeal courts don't like to see judges uh, becoming finance ministers. I mean, that's the difference here. There's a there's a role for the judiciary. There's a role for the legislative branch, and it's we have to be careful in a in a democracy like Canada where we elect our politicians but we don't elect our judges, uh, that the judges are a check and a balance on politicians, but that they don't become politicians, that they aren't setting policy for the province. I mean, we have had an election in this province uh, since this bill was brought into effect. And, you know, there was a democratic process in the meantime. And that's really, you know, one of the tensions we have in Canadian democracy. I think it's I think it's a good thing that there is a check and a balance. But that's really and I think the judge of first instance was mindful of that. And certainly the courts are going to be mindful of that. Gavin Ty, always good to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jerry. Always a pleasure.